Hello, everybody. My name is Jason West, and this is Pod Class. Today's episode is brought to you by the Cal State Long Beach College of Education and Educational Leadership Department. Did you know that the Educational Leadership Department at Cal State Long Beach is home to not one, not two, but three advanced degree programs? One such program is the Educational Leadership Doctorate Program, a three-year program designed for working professionals in PK-12 and higher education who want to further promote social justice in urban educational settings. What's particularly unique about the program is that higher ed and PK-12 students take many of their courses together, cue the We Are Family theme song, and they do this so they can learn together how to address problems across the educational spectrum. The program prides itself on providing high levels of support and practical knowledge so that students graduate on time and make a difference in their jobs. Interested in applying? Check out csulb.edu forward slash edld for dates and information. That's csulb.edu forward slash edld. Go beach, go teach, go lead. Today's tea is provided by Snapdragon and Thistle. Do you know where your teas come from? Don't worry, Snapdragon and Thistle does. Snapdragon and Thistle prides themselves on sourcing their teas ethically. They've eliminated those pesky middlemen. Damn you, middlemen. After the leaves are picked, your leaves only make two stops before landing at your front door. Y'all, two stops? I'm turning 40 later this year, and I have found that the older I get, the more stops and the more steps it takes me to do just about anything. Snapdragon and Thistle provides the best prices for premium, ethically grown teas so that both your taste buds and your conscience can enjoy your cup of tea. Snapdragon and Thistle is also offering podcast listeners 10% off their next order. All you have to do is go over to snapdragonandthistle.com, that's S-N-A-P-D-R-A-G-O-N-A-N-T-H-I-S-T-L-E.com, that's right, I spelled that whole thing for you, and enter the promo code Mr. West T10. That's M R W E S T T E A 10. Now, I realize I just threw a whole bunch of letters and numbers your way, but while you're processing everything I just gave you, let's just take a moment to bask in the fact that I have my very own promo code, y'all. My very own promo code for T. While we let that just sort of wash over and warm our hearts and souls, let's start the show. I'm sitting here over Zoom with Dr. Vanessa Landisfine. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So quick rundown of your CV. Dr. Landisfine is the current Director of Student Support Services at Sentinella Valley Union High School District. Before that, she was a principal at Hawthorne High School and a graduate professor at Cal State Long Beach. Dr. Landisfine, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Happy to All be right. here. All right. I hope you're comfortable. You got your you got your uh, tea for the week. I do. All right. Excellent. So, because before we get into today's show, I just want to start off with a quick segment we're calling intersectionality. All right. Let's take a sip. 
right, today we are drinking Rosalind's Tranquility Blend. So the fun fact uh, about teas is that most people classify certain hot beverages as tea when they really aren't tea at all. In fact, true tea only comes from a single plant, the Camellia sinensis plant, but we get different types based on how long those leaves oxidize. So black, green, white, blue, based on how long they oxidize. So anything that calls itself an herbal tea, like chamomile, for example, is actually not a tea at all. It's simply an herbal beverage. Uh, anything that calls itself tea but doesn't use any leaves, like ginger, for example, is actually called an infusion. So what makes this herbal worth sharing today? Well, this delicious beverage is made with peppermint, licorice root, and cloves. So technically, this would be an herbal blend. I know we're getting real nitty-gritty with the technicalities here, but each ingredient provides so many health benefits from digestion to mental health to pain relief. One would think that it's a no-brainer to go out and get some of this delicious blend to fortify your body and mind with both uh, prescriptive and preventative measures, right? And and you'd be right. The, the smell of this tea, uh, yeah, it's both refreshing with a hint of spice, real aromatics playing beautifully together, and the flavor is exactly what you'd expect it to be after smelling it, right? Just a nice palate cleanser, a little bit of spice. I feel so relaxed. This is like the liquid version of sitting under a fuzzy blanket and watching reruns of The Office. Go ahead, enjoy. So, Dr. Landisfine, you're probably wondering, why are we drinking this complicated, you know, very technically specific herbal today, right? So how does Rosalind's Tranquility Blend intersect with, intersect with education and personal identity? So as I mentioned earlier, this isn't technically a tea. Uh, there's not as much nuance to classifying things yet in terms of tea, yet people don't really know this. They, they, they say tea for everything. And it kind of feels like education law is much the same way. So my first question to you is, for all of us lay folks listening, what exactly is education law, and in what ways do administrators like yourself interact with it on a daily basis? So to me, education law is all of the rules that we have to follow when running our schools and when we're organizing ourselves and the services we provide to our students and um, how we conduct ourselves with our employees. I, it, there's so many different aspects of it. In my job on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm, I'm mainly dealing with the things that relate to our students and more specifically the things that happen to our students that are going on indirect to the classroom so in other words I look at um, I do attendance I do anything that supports students uh, well-being so I deal with the foster and homeless youth which has a whole body of legislation attached to it um, uh, going back to attendance, I uh, run SARB panels, which is the attendance review boards, which also has legislation attached to it. Uh, I oversee our mental health services, which uh, more recently has legislation attached to it relative to the pandemic. So all day long uh, working in education law. Not every school administrator deals with this much on a day-to-day -day basis, but but this particular position is very is very law heavy and rule heavy. So schools often call me up to ask questions about this, that, or the other. Oh, the other thing I deal with is uh, student records, which has a whole other set of laws. I have giant books in my office. It's kind of interesting. So like most laws, full disclosure, by the way, uh, Dr. Landisfine was my ed law professor in my master's program. So whenever I think about uh, Dr. Landisfine and 
the law. I think about this this thick book <laughs> that you gave us. And like most laws, I imagine, you know, the whole book is, is complicated. In fact, like I said, I know it's complicated because you gave us this copy. And let's just say it's not a light read. <laughs> it's pretty densely packed with things. How can teachers and parents apprise themselves of ed law so that they can navigate the system more proficiently? So what I think is that when, so two different, there's two different components of this. I think that that teachers really um, should have an understanding of the rules and legislation that impacts them in the classroom. Ideally, schools would provide them with that annually. There's some things that are legislated that have to be provided to you annually as a teacher and that you should be aware of rules regarding um, discipline in your classroom, uh, things that you're mandated to report. Uh, you're, you're aware of that if you're a teacher. But um, as, as a parent, if you have a concern or an issue with regard to a school, the best place to start in terms of laws or rules is with the school board policy. So every school district or every school district has on their website, the school, uh, the board policies posted. And as a parent, you can take a look at those board policies to see what they say with regard to particular issues. So as a parent, if you have questions about how, how a school grades or how a school takes attendance, or even how a school uh, allows for permits in a, in a, uh, in enrollment, you would be able to go to that board policy and see those rules. So that's the most basic and most accessible level of the law. That that board policy also references the larger ed code, and most of the online versions of this is something that you can click through. So as a parent, you that's your primary place that you have access to. And as a teacher, you can also access that as well as accessing your um, your contract, which is another form of ed law. This is very, it's very elaborate, isn't it? Yeah. And it kind of makes you wonder, we have parents come through districts from a wide variety of socioeconomic backgrounds and educational backgrounds. Do you, do you think that ed law is accessible to all families? Absolutely not. It, it definitely is not is not accessible to all families because you would have to have the wherewithal to go to find the board policy, read through it. Then you would have to understand the jargon that the board policy was written in and uh, dig down into it. And then if you wanted to look at ed code, that's a whole other layer of complication. Plus, there's case law attached to it. So I think that every school district really does need people who are who understand the rules and legislation that that is there for parents to protect students and to support students and that, that the schools really act as advocates on the behalf of the students and parents and make sure that those, those things are applied. Um, most recently, uh, I've, I've been thinking a lot about the, the legislation that came about as a result of our, um, as a result of the pandemic and pushing us to distance learning. So Senate bill 98 is the funding bill for that. And an interesting aspect of that Senate bill 98, and it came up because of the class I'm teaching this, uh, this semester in urban ed, um, is the fact that school districts are essentially expected to, um, provide for the, uh, mental health and, um, social emotional well-being of the students in, in their districts, which is kind of a new piece of legislation in there. And it, and it's, kind of hidden in there and and 
the question is, how do you do that? So you actually have to have somebody on staff who is working on the emotional health of the students and the emotional well-being of the students and, and in theory, the teachers as well. So that advocacy advocacy role that that a staff member might have uh, can extend to other areas as well. And, and they have been in place in some cases. So for example, with special education students, um, they have case carriers that are, that are intended to be their advocates and to work with the parents to make sure that they're getting the things that they need. But a school district really has to be active in reaching out to parents and making sure that, that they're getting the things that they need to allow their students to be successful. And that's the legislative things and just the, the human things that they need to move on. Um, most recently, of course, we need to have kids who have technology and are able to access our online learning systems. That's sitting in um, the Senate bill as well, but common sense would also dictate that that, that had to happen. and. Uh, Equity-wise, we had to make sure that that happened for our students as well. It seems that ethically, this is pretty cut and dry. But in terms of legally, you know, and, and the whole CYA thing, uh, it seems like, as I'm listening, it seems that it's a bit of a paradox in that we need to inform our families about ed law and, and, and advocate so that they are aware of everything going on. But at the same time, the more aware they are, the more liable uh, we are to lawsuits and as, as a school district, right? We're, 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 we expose ourselves to the underbelly of all of our deficiencies. And, and again, ethically, that, that sounds great. Like, great, that's how you improve. But in terms of legally, <laughs> that's a real uh, leap to take. It is, but you you have to do it in order to actually serve the to to fulfill your mission as an educational institution. We have to we have to provide for our families, and we have to work with our students, and we have to ensure that all of our students are successful. Um, lawsuits are going to come, no matter what. Mm. There there are there are groups out there who are seeking to sue schools. I mean. Uh, most recently, there was a big uh, lawsuit brought in the state of California, uh, seeking to. Um, Sue school districts during the pandemic because of providing not providing inadequate special education services. We are those that group was actively seeking out to to make a case against these school districts, recover damages, uh, all of these things. But but the reality of it is is it was. Uh, it ended before it went anywhere because there is no way that that the school districts could have done more than what they were doing with their with their populations. But we still have to try and let people know what's available to them. And we still have to, regardless of whether or not that that gives people uh, ammunition, so to speak, against school districts, because it's our responsibility to take care of the kids and we have to do what's right. right for the kids. We can't just, we can't just live in fear of, oh, we might be sued. We already have a lot of, we have <laughs> like a we lot kind of, of legislation. Are, yeah. We have a lot of legislation and Senate bills and uh, on the books that, that are intended to prevent us from being sued. So in other words, like mm. every year we do those annual bullying notifications and um, the, the U universal complaint procedure notifications, all of those are, are intended to stave off lawsuits by informing people. So we have legislation that helps us with that. Hmm. So 
it's it's better to to provide the information to families than than to keep the information away from them. And yes, it does mean we have to provide more services for family. It does mean we have to do more than what we're doing. But we always have to do more. We have to do better no matter what, right? I mean, really, yeah. So can you talk a bit more about because we're, it sounds like we're getting into a, a discussion on equity. How can we work to create more laws focused on equity in education? That's an interesting question because one of the things that I think about when we when we create laws is are we are we taking away the the intent of it by legislating it? So does it does does it become does it become less powerful because it's a rule rather than than the culture of the school and mm. and i do think we we need to ensure that that students and and families have what they need to be successful but i'm i don't know that that can be there, that there can be a specific rule that addresses that globally. I think it has to be handled on a case by case basis and um, it on an issue by issue basis. Maybe that that that's a more accurate description of it. So, for example, with with the more recent legislation with regard to the the pandemic, in uh, in that legislation, it does say that the schools must provide devices to students so that they have access to online learning. It it also uh, indicates that school districts must provide internet access to those families. So in other words, hotspots. And uh, so I guess when you find an inequity or you find an issue, then the legislation comes forward. But in reality, if schools were in, and schools and districts were really looking at their, their programs and their processes, they would have found these issues themselves prior and addressed them. And one would hope that that would be the culture of the district to begin with or the or the goal of the district is to is to find those those problem areas and address them before somebody has to file a lawsuit and yeah. uh, a rule has to be made to address the to address the problem, so to speak, right? Yeah, I mean, you 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 brought up uh, the pandemic and devices and hotspots. I had I just had Dr. Uh, Christopher Nellum of Edgerest West on the show, and I told him I said uh, this is something that's been on my mind a lot. So I'm just going to toss this in your in your think tank and, and just we'll see what happens with it. But I told him I said, you know. It, it, We've established that in order to do distant learning, you you have to be able to get on Zoom or Google Meet or Microsoft Teams or whatever it is. And in order to do that, you need high quality, high speed internet. And a a hotspot is just not going to do it, especially if you're not the only one trying to log on at the same time. So if we are aware of this and we understand this, how is high speed internet not covered under Williams Law? Oh, interesting. That's an interesting question, isn't it? But but I don't think that that Williams has caught up with the pandemic. So, so the Senate bill didn't <laughs> the Senate bill didn't augment Williams for us. And and you know Williams that Williams is a whole other story because Williams is vaguely inadequate to begin yeah. with, right? Because if you think about it, like one of the big things that happens in schools is we check to make sure kids have textbooks. How does that even work in this context? All the textbooks have gone digital, right? So right. 
in in theory, well, what they did was audit, they would come in and audit whether the kids were able to access their digital textbooks. Well, that was all well and good when we were on campus. But when we're off campus, we go back to the part about, hey, what if the kid doesn't have high-speed internet access? Because I know in, <laughs> we've given hotspots to kids and we've we've gone through the process of replacing them at this point but but the original hotspots would run out of data so the yeah. kid would be the kid would be frozen 100%. by the end of it the kid couldn't use a camera the kid couldn't use any video the kid right. couldn't use you may as well not have had a hotspot yeah right exactly because all you can do is like maybe go onto canvas and type or whatever that right. that's definitely <laughs> a in an inequity it's a it's a terrible thing and yeah. and really yes kids are using multiple, multiple kids are using the same hotspot. But can that be legislated out because it, it has to be a budgetary thing? And could, could the law have anticipated that piece of it? I don't know. You Seems were talking, like it's a city infrastructure thing too. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, you, that's fine. Yeah, it actually goes into my next question because you were talking about, you know, city and case law and state law and national law. Can you talk a bit more about the difference between the different types of ed laws that, that we're getting? Like what's the difference between ed law from the state and ed law from Washington? So, well, it, Washington doesn't get to make a lot of ed code, doesn't make ed code for us. Washington, the, the, the legislation we deal with on the national level mainly relates to the elementary and secondary education act, which deals with a lot of our funding processes. There is there are some other there are some other things that impact us in there, Title IX, but all of the various titles and the subcategories of funding are in there, as well as um, uh, some extra uh, parts with regard to special education. But they do not necessarily um, impact the day-to-day running of our school as much as uh, as California Ed Code does. So California Ed Code is really what drives our are the business end of our school. So that that's where you get all the rules about how many instructional minutes you have, how many days kids have to attend, what constitutes a truant, all of our suspension and expulsion codes, so on and so forth. And then of course at the local level you have the um, you have the board policies that that govern the schools. So it sounds like the way that people can get involved or more involved in ed code is not to worry themselves about you know, the secretary of education and what that office is doing, but really calling the state superintendent's office and worrying about that, or is there something even beneath that, that they should be really focusing on? So the, the best way a person could actually get involved in their education process is to go to directly to the locally elected school board. Mm. Um, because the school board, you know, they have they have a degree of control. They have a degree of input. Now they they can't change any state laws with regard to that. But but to get involved in the lo- local school district as a public person is to go over and speak at the school board meeting. Definitely give input so that the board hears you. Because the other part of that is that the cabinet for any school district is always at the school board meeting, which means that the superintendent and the assistant superintendents over every division in the school district are there. So the people that actually make policy and move the school district are at the board meeting. They, they are there. And, you know, as a public figure, you can't go in and you're not going to get responses from them, but you do have an allotted amount of time to speak and enter your comments into the record. And if more people were to do that, then the school board, then, then, 
the school district would hear more voices. Um, at the state level, yes, going to the state superintendent's office and working through that office is a way to influence policy in general in the state and, and change legislation in the state. So if you wanted to be really active uh, on the state level, that's where you would go. And, and now it's easy to go anywhere. You just, you know, true. jump on Zoom. <laughs> you don't have yeah, to get in the car. It's true. It's true. So I'm going to eliminate all of these layers. The school board's gone. The state superintendent's office is gone. The secretary of education's gone. And I'm giving you a magic wand. And you can just wave it once. And any law that you kind of want to make happen for ed, for ed code or ed law can happen. What's your first and only wave of the wand for? What would I make happen? Hmm. And you can't wish for more wishes. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would really, I would, I would want to genuinely not, not just on paper, provide, provide support for students to access resources that are available in affluent communities across Mm. the state. So a high school is a high school is a high school, but, but there are different things at different high schools. And an AP course at an affluent high school is not an AP course in a hundred percent. Exactly. So I don't know if this, I, I don't know that this can be legislated really, but because it, it requires, it requires strong teachers and there's strong teachers everywhere, but, but there, but there are extra resources at, in more affluent communities that don't exist in, in high poverty areas. And there is there in and what I would like to see is students be able to access those. And there's also a degree of privilege in being able to go to school without having um, without having extra things outside distracting from that. In other words, like having to have a job and not having a job because it's fun to have a job or you want extra spending money, but rather being obligated to work because you're contributing to your parents, you're contributing to your family's well-being. That there, there's that prevents kids from accessing resources. Right. So I don't know if that's fixable by legislation, but, but if I could With make magic, magic wand, happen, yeah. I would, I would, I would give everybody access to those, to those things so that, so that we, so that kids can really experience the different things that are available to them. Because I think that that's the one thing that that's missing in, in your high poverty schools is that, that they just don't have access or exposure to as many things. So, so it limits, it limits their options when, when they're done with us. So they don't have as broad a, a horizon. Yeah. I'm, it's a wish well spent. I, 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 I'm, 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 I'm all <laughs> for it. I'm all for it. This is kind of a nerdy silly, almost naive question uh, that I'm about to ask you, but being that you know all about Ed Law and, you know, you you give this book and it's just like, it's kind of amazing how quickly you can rattle off the knowledge that you have from this book uh, of laws. Is there one, do you have like a favorite law? Like, is there one that, you know, when you learned about it or when you read it, you went, ooh, that's, that's pretty good. I like that. 
No, I don't. So, (laughs) so, and, and honestly, so I, or is there one that you thought the opposite where you were like, Ooh, why? No, um, I'm, you know, I'm not an attorney, so that's the first thing. So, so let let me say that. Uh, so I haven't, I don't delve that deeply into it. The, the knowledge that I have become, comes from my use of it rather than, um, so it, it's just basically the things that I use most frequently. So I don't have a favorite. Um, oh, you know what I do ha- really like though? <laughs> hey, yeah, we got go. there. It, there when it comes, because I'm, because I'm, I oversee discipline in this position. So I oversee higher level discipline. In other words, when a student comes to me and and they're going to be expelled or they've mm-hmm. committed a very, they've committed a higher level offense than is dealt with at the district. Sure. Uh, in dealing with discipline, I am very appreciative of the legislation that basically says that that we need to attempt other means of correction before we suspend, that we need to find other ways of addressing, addressing student uh, behavior issues. I'm also very appreciative of the removal of the 48900K code as an option for suspension. That's the one that says, um, you know, dis- defiance or disruption of the of the school day. You can still use it at the high school level, but but we basically told everyone, don't you dare uh, mm-hmm. try and suspend a kid for this. So it, that 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 change of removing that as an option is has has really changed the way that we handle kids. It's forced us to look at kids and uh, take a look and see what's causing the behavior and how we might fix it and really look at that other means of correction part to support kids. So if I had a favorite thing that's changed, that would be it is that that giving kids a, uh, a second chance, if you will. Yeah, it's kind of amazing how quickly you shift to problem solving when you aren't able to pass the problem on to someone else. That's true. (laughs) So, okay, I want to play a game with you. And this is the first time I've played a game on this new show. uh, And I'm especially especially excited for it because I'm going to let you be the host. Okay. (laughs) So the game is called What Would You Do? That's okay. a sim- simple enough. So right. what I'd like you to do is please share a few examples of situations that have come up in in your career or that you've you know been spoken to in other uh, with other people where it has come up and sort of share the situation and I will play the role of the principal and I'm gonna try to guess what is you know, quote unquote, the correct response. Um, and then you'll tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> are you ready you're up yes i am actually it's interesting because i was thinking about uh, cases so we haven't done anything um we haven't done anything in a while so discipline wise but i have a few other things that that have happened and we can take a look at this but i did have a discipline incident that came up to me this year so kind of an interesting situation um a student uh jumps onto a zoom and he starts well we use google meet but that's neither here nor there basically the same same principle except for google sure. meet you can like you can zoom bomb google meet bomb so he is in a classroom and he starts posting in the chat a bunch of really heinous racist attacks against the teacher else the teacher boots him out comes back in starts playing um 
gosh darn it what is it uh like really loud obnoxious metal into the classroom right just crazy posts more heinous racist stuff finally the teacher just shuts down the classroom for the time being goes into another teacher's classroom later in the day says a bunch of other horrible things goes into like it, it, very very offensive i will not repeat any of it here um changes his uh changes his uh profile picture to a white nationalist symbol um right, right okay so then um goes it zoom bombs a classroom at another school plays crazy music that kind of thing so this you is gotta shore up the security of these classrooms <laughs> right lord and, so and 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 the teacher is very very upset it and it kind of it sure. comes out of the blue kid has no discipline history at all um and we know it's that it's actually this kid oh yeah yeah okay. yeah yeah because we I just didn't know if he was like hacked or something uh, no 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 because because we're in google meet it's a closed system right so okay. we know who the kid is right mm-hmm. and he pretty much admits to doing it too at this point so um the the comments to the teacher the the one teacher were vaguely threatening so and he's done all of this stuff. He, he has no prior his, history of discipline, but a teacher has been made to feel very, very uncomfortable. Two teachers have been made to feel very, very uncomfortable and possibly feel threatened. So what do you do now? You're the principal and we're virtual. Right. So a uh, follow-up question. Got Are it. there other teachers that teach this subject that I can move this student to? Yes, but they are all teachers of color and they've made and the student has made racist remarks, extreme racist and sexist remarks. And so they all feel unsafe and they threatened. don't necessarily know about it. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. But the two teachers that were in there absolutely know about the situation. Yes. So I I think as the principal, I think probably the first step would be that obviously there'd be some sort of disciplinary action, but ultimately, especially because we're virtual, I think the move would have to be to move the student to another class, but have a conversation with the teacher saying, Hey, this is what happened. If anything else comes up, like this is kind of the, the, the last straw. And then it becomes a move school situation because from what I remember of my ed law class, uh, <laughs> First Amendment rights mean nothing if it disrupts the learning of the school. Yeah, you're right. So what if you have the suspension conference with the kid and it's in person and the kid comes in wearing a swastika t-shirt? Wow. <laughs> just asking. I mean, <laughs> just hypothetically. Because this kid is trying to make a point and trying to go. I mean, look, if that if, if the kid shows up like that and they're that kid needs services, first of all, he definitely needs uh, some sort of support services from a, a, a counselor. Uh, what did the parents say? So I wasn't in on that conference. So I'll, I'll tell you, the principal did suspend him and send him to me for, for an expulsion hearing, but mm-hmm. under, um, under a hate crime and terrorist threat. So, wow. 
Right. But that, but, but sometimes we have those hearings and we're not going to go forward with it, but, but it was, it was fairly extreme. Right. So we did with me with him. So the kid shows up to the, to the meeting in person with the family and this is where we meet the parents. So the parents did not know what was going on, but the kid showed up to the meeting wearing combat, combat fatigues, suspenders, a camouflage hat and Doc Martens. Hmm. So okay. he had the he had the full outfit on. But not 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 a there was no a... swastika this time, but okay, he just was like a military. Yes. I see. More militant, if you will. Yes. I mean that's definitely less threatening, but yeah, th- that's yeah, I mean, this is a good scenario, isn't it? This is a really so, but, tough what one can because you, what can you what can you do with him legally? Did he did he commit a hate crime? Did he do any of these things? I I don't think so. No, he didn't. I I, so, I think I think it's just that's why when you said it was that he sent it with a hate crime and a terrorist threat. I was like, that seems really we extreme. Boxes. We we check boxes. It's not wrong. It's not wrong, but but it it actually the the statements that the student made did fall under that category. But but did they meet an expulsion standard? No, they didn't meet an expulsion standard, particularly because the student had never um, that the student had no prior discipline incidents. There there was absolutely literally nothing. It. So uh, what we did do with the student is that we placed him in um, independent study with online classes, so uh, Apex, so yeah, so that, that there was sense. there was no if he that yeah. was his realm for a while is this mm-hmm. more controlled environment to and then offered counseling and uh, offered uh, therapeutic services to the family for the student. Yeah, but sounds like he had a breakdown. Is, it does seem like it does seem like somewhere in there he kind of just lost it and his mother did mention that he'd been going on to websites that kind mm-hmm. of had this kind of thing going on yeah um so we did offer services and we did a refer to outside services as well but the question of course remains did you are you able to are you able to counsel that out of a kid can you can you counsel racist ideology out of a kid i think and, and was that really the case yeah i mean if it sounds like the kid i mean now now we're getting into the weeds of it but it it seems like if it's new enough then it's it's got to be rooted in something else so all these things always are right yeah that was really good that's a good one all right well let's do let's do one more and then, just, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up just for you. one more yeah. a, a much more basic one okay so um we have we have drug dogs that come onto campus and we this is from a while back obviously because i'm not on campus right now but sure. we're and we're and we're, we were on campus during this time but anyway so drug dogs come onto campus and we do random checks you know we have this all signed off everything um bag checks uh to see what's going on um so we find a kid and the kid has a little bit of a little bit of weed on him a little bit of wax and like five uh cartridges for for a vape pen and he has a wad of cash on him mm-hmm. why do you have all this stuff with you well right. I, I i bought it this morning why do you have five vape cartridges on you well if you buy them in bulk they're cheaper 
are you selling? No, I'm not selling. Kid has a history, a vague history of like petty this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. Has been suspended for drugs possession before. Um, has has had drug counseling. Has been in with has been in uh, drug counseling groups. Um, has had community service. Has had has it's had a string of interventions, and now we have this. So what yeah. do you do with that? I mean, I kind of think you do the same thing that you've been doing because you don't have any other substantial proof unless you have other uh, witnesses who are willing to put on record that he was attempting to sell. There's no, like you caught him in nothing other than possession. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. He's just, Promotions he just happens to be, no, no promotion. No, yeah. he just happens to be the bargain shopper of like, yeah. yeah, if you buy, if you buy cartridges in bulk, they're a discount, but he probably was selling. Well, he was selling, but we didn't, we didn't catch him selling. Right. So that's the only thing. So you just keep an eye mm. on him after that and, and, and keep going. And um, we did, we did send him out to a little bit more of an extreme uh, uh, intervention program that, that he had to complete. So uh, hopefully he's okay now. It was a couple of years ago. He did graduate. So. Um, oh, nice. I, um, man, high school's, high school is rough. I know. Well, oh, you realize I didn't have any middle school or elementary school examples. I'm so sorry. That's, that, that, no, that's okay. Because I, like I said, high school, is it, they're just wilding out in high school. And I remember being in high school and the amount of stuff that would come through the office, it was just like, wow, this is what, this is what it's like to be an assistant principal at a high school. That seems like, like a tireless and mostly thankless job. Oh, it's not that bad. It's great. High school kids are great. They like, they're, they're fun. Oh, high school kids are great. It's just high school discipline is rough. Whereas like in middle school, in middle school, yeah, you get a couple of fights, you get a couple of like petty drug stuff, but it's mostly like, why are you selling a bag of chips? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well they sell bags of chips at high school too, but look, look, the benefit of high school is nobody's going to cry. Nobody's going to, nobody's going to cry and you're, and, and you're not going to get all that weird. You're going to get some weird girl stuff at ninth grade, but you don't get all that like girl infighting that you get Mm. from middle school. So that, that's the benefit of high school. So interesting different choice you can intervene differently well thank you for being the first ever host of a game uh, on my show (laughs) i appreciate it i i don't know what i won other than uh the knowledge and a a great time that was happening so thank you you're very welcome well the the knowledge and you can and should you ever um interview anywhere and they ask you a question like that what do you do which is a common interview question that will uh, you'll be prepared to to answer it Ooh. I'm going to rename this game called interview prep and I'm going to start doing this for every single episode going forward. No, I think it's a great idea. <laughs> Absolutely. You should do that interview prep because scenarios there's all in a, in a admin interview, there's always a scenario. It's either a teacher did something, a student did something or a parent did something. Oh, so you have to be yeah. ready to address those three at any time. Oh, I, I might, I might actually take that idea. That's really good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. We are, coming up to the bittersweet part of the interview and it's bittersweet i always like to say because on the one hand it's it's sad because the interview is wrapping up but it's sweet because this is always super fun and i get to know a bit more about like you the person not so much you the the brain and then the the knowledge at the end of every episode i ask the guest to offer some sort of extra credit for the podcast audience 
it can be anything. It could be, hey, check out this book, check out this show or movie, check out this type of food. Hey, when the pandemic is over, check out this place to travel. Literally anything you want, it's extra credit. So what is an extra credit assignment you would like to give the pod class audience? Okay, so I thought about this and I am truly, truly sick of anything virtual. No offense to you in our current Zoom situation, but um, I... I had a birthday recently and it was very interesting. I got a lot of digital uh, well wishes and, and happy birthday, birthday digitally. Text. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but one of my friends actually wrote me a card and I got the card in the mail and it was awesome. So what I'm going to suggest to the audience is reach out to somebody non-virtually, send somebody a card or get crazy and call somebody on the phone and speak to them. I know we don't use our phones that way, but actually do something, do something personal that isn't virtual or drop something off on at a friend's house. Uh, You know, some flowers, some cookies, anything you don't need to stay and you can be socially distant while you're doing it, but, but do something in person for someone else. And, and because I, I was so happy to get something tangible and even though it was just a card it was a it was a wonderful gift oh that's nice yeah a a, a little bit of the where you can sort of feel the effort that was put into it yeah and it's not just you know a look at my cool powerpoint it's it's you know yeah i totally agree having the the best thing ever and i'm a terrible neighbor (laughs) terrible neighbor because (laughs) we our neighbors always bake and they always make a bunch of whatever they're baking she lives next make... to my cousin because seriously, she that's her. And then she's like, we have all this extra. And then they bring it over and they go, we have extra. And we're like, oh, thank you. And then we bake and then we try to make extra. But we, you know, with two kids and I've got like the craziest sweet tooth, we bake extra. And before I can bring it over, it's gone. It's gone. We just eat it. So uh, once out of every like 15 bakes, I'm like, okay, we cannot touch this. We have to bring this to the neighbors, but they bring it over like one out of every five. It's unbelievable. So I, I totally agree when it's like the nicest thing when somebody brings you something and you're like, Oh, just thinking about you. So yeah, totally agree. Maybe and and you, thank you note to your neighbor. You know what? You've inspired me. I'm going to, we're going to bake something. <laughs> I'm going to make sure I don't eat it. And I'm going to write a little note saying, Hey, I'm sorry. We're such bad neighbors, but we do think of you when we're eating our own baked goods. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) This is great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. You are very welcome. Okay, that is our show. I want to thank our very special guest, Dr. Vanessa Landisvine, for joining us. And thank you, my pod classmates, for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, don't be a stranger. Reach out. Let me know. I can be found on all social media platforms with the username at TeachMeMrWest. That's... Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, even though I never use it, and now on Clubhouse, my latest obsession. We'll have to talk about that another time, but yeah, Clubhouse, you can find me. Please, please do so. I can also be reached via email at podclasspod, that's podclasspod at gmail.com. I know I've mentioned this before, but this is a new and exciting show for all of us, which means We need all the help we can get letting the world know just how great you think it is. So if you wouldn't mind, please go to wherever you get your podcasts and go ahead and give this show a five-star rating, maybe even a little review if it's not too much trouble. If reviews aren't your thing, why not tell everyone you know to subscribe to the show? I mean, really, if this show brings you 
any bit of joy, who are you to keep that from others? You're not that kind of person. You're not selfish. You're a giver. You're a lover. It's what brought you to this show in the first place. So go ahead and share the show with as many people as you can so we can continue the conversation and change education forever. All right, I realize that's a bit grandiose, but you get what I'm saying. Anyway, until next time, pod class dismissed. 